All right, you ready for the word? Okay. We have a lot of exciting things at the church to get involved in, so come to our welcome party. Now, if you're not planning to stay after for our welcome party, please allow those that are, say, are you coming to the welcome party? Will you go in front so they can get in line and eat so they can come back? So, all right. Well, let's uh, open up your Bibles. And is that my phone over there? Okay. All right. So in Romans 15, we are in verse 21. It says, But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and to those who have not heard, shall understand. For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now no longer having a place in these parts, I having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I will come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Uh, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those in Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Uh, therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints." that I may come to you by the jo with joy in the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. And now the God of peace be with you. Amen. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God that's blessed. We're going to open our heart and receive it by faith and be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher. You would anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, break this apart and let them hear your voice today and walk away with exactly what you want them to have. Only you can do this miracle. And I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to verse 21, start unpacking this. But as, that is, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. In this section of Scripture, Paul is addressing the Gentiles and the importance of understanding that the Gentiles are also included into God's plan and God's redemptive plan. Up in, in the Old Testament, uh, it was the nation of Israel was and the main focus, and the nation of Israel was the one who received the covenants and received the promises. And so, once they came, the Messiah came and he died for us. He realized there was a mystery hidden from the ages past that the Gentiles would be included in the Old Testament. The church age or the mystery, what Paul calls the mystery, is the church age. It's the age of grace. That it was a mystery not found in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you'll find passages that talk about Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming right together. But in between, it was a mystery that in between that time, God would insert the church age, the age of grace, though the Gentiles would be coming in and joining into God's plan. And so that's what he's saying here. As it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. 
So for a couple thousand years, the Gentiles had not had the gospel preached to them. They had not the word of God preached to them. They were on the outside. And it says, I have chosen to speak to them and let the Gentiles in on this. And they're going to see and hear and believe. And so that's you. Say, I believe. I I see. I I understand. understand. Amen. You're, You're in there. You're awesome people. Hallelujah. All right, so this is a quote out of Isaiah 52, 15, as it is written. And so he's speaking of the Gentiles. And so just because years and decades and millennia had gone by where Gentiles had not had it announced to them and had not heard doesn't mean that they don't hear now. And so Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And go into all the world, go into all the Gentile nations and preach the gospel. So we're to announce to the Gentiles and they must hear to believe, to hear and believe. So again, Romans chapter 10 says, how will they believe without a preacher and how can they be saved if they don't hear? And so again, it's our job to go preach to them so that they will see and understand. Go to verse 22. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Say for this reason. reason. What reason? Well, Paul's been busy preaching to the Gentiles, announcing and preaching so they could hear the gospel. So at this time, Paul was in Asia Minor, and he had just come from a great revival in the city of Ephesus. And so this was on his third missionary journey. And so during his first missionary journey and his second missionary journey, Paul had not gone to this region, and it was only until the third missionary journey was he to go there. In the second missionary journey, Paul tried to go into Asia, He tried to go into this area that he's in now, but the Spirit forbade him, didn't permit him to go. And then he tried to go into Bithynia, that's south, and he tried to go north into Bithynia, and the Spirit wouldn't let him to go. So he couldn't go south, he couldn't go north, and the only thing he could do is continue to travel westward until he came to the ocean. And God says, unless I walk on the water, uh, this is where I'm stopping. And in the middle of the night, he prayed and had a vision of a man from Macedonia across the Aegean Sea in the area of Macedonia saying, come, help us. And so Paul moved over in his second intermissionary journey over into Macedonia in the churches of Philippi and Corinth and ministered there. And then in the third missionary journey, God does allow him to come to Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor. And when he gets there, he tries to preach to the Jews, which he always tries to preach to the Jews first. He gets beat up, has a rock concert, and then he gets, then God, then he'll say, fine, you don't want it, I'll turn to the Gentiles, and there's revival. And there's a huge revival in the, in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a huge city, and almost the entire town turns to Jesus. And so it's a revival, it's a great awakening back then. And so Paul, matter of fact, the, so many people were getting saved that the, it was impacting the temple worship of Diana. And they worshiped Diana there, and they had a graven statue of her, and they even had a trade called the little, the little, uh, little statuettes. They would sell them on the street corners. They have them everywhere around, and that's where they made most of their money, selling little statues of Diana. And so many people were getting saved that people stopped buying the little things of Diana. And so finally, the ones that were making that said, well, what's the cause of this? And they said, well, it's that little preacher down there. It's that preacher down the street that's preaching that's causing all this to happen. And so they caused a big stir and made everybody all up in an uproar. And everybody in the town went outside the town and, go, and filled up the amphitheater. 
That's just basically, you know, like the NFL stadium today. So they all went out there, and then for a space of an hour, they shouted, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they just shouted for an hour, and after a while, someone says, What are we doing here? And the other one says, I don't know. I thought you knew what we were doing here. Said the most part didn't even know what they were doing there. And so they were shouting, and they almost killed Paul, and Paul had to get out of town. And so this is the setup here. And so it says, for this reason, I've been much hindered from coming to you at Rome, because I've been busy preaching the gospel and, and heading up revival. Verse 23. But now no longer having a place in these parts. Yeah, because he got kicked out. <laughs> Hallelujah. But now no having no longer in these parts, I have a great desire these many years to come to you. He had been wanting to come to Rome. He didn't start that church in Rome, but he'd been wanting to come there. He heard it was a great church, and he wanted to minister at Rome. And he says, I have a great desire many years to come to you, verse 24. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. He says, I want to go to Spain. Spain is the furthest part of the world at that point from Jerusalem. And you have the east, but the furthest west you go. Matter of fact, America was not yet discovered at that point. And so we know the Vikings went over, but really... Traditionally, we say that Columbus discovered the new land, and so in 1942, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I'm a poet and didn't know it, but, but at this time, Spain was as far west as they knew. So he said, I want to go as far as possible with this gospel west. And he says, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to spend some time with you, but then I hope that you will send me, give me what I need to help me on my way as a missionary over to Spain. And so... Uh, so go down to verse, uh, well, first of all, it says, I want to enjoy your company for a while. Look at that phrase, enjoy your company for a while. In the Greek, this is what the Greek says, in a measure to be satisfied with your company. In a measure, say in a measure, in a measure. be satisfied with your company. And so that's the balance here is, first of all, we need each other. We need the fellowship of one another. That's why church is so important. And I'm speaking to the choir. You're all here. And so there are Christians that are not here. They don't see the importance of it. But it's important that we come together, that we can impart to one another. We don't come to church just to receive, but we come to give and to impart to other believers. And so be sensitive after the church service is over. There's someone that needs you, someone that needs that gift on the inside of you. Be open for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, an encouragement you can give to someone. Be open to give that because that's what we're here for. We're a body that ministers to one another. And so Paul says, I just want to be refreshed. Paul was, was uh, so humble. He says, you know what? I know it's not just about me ministering to you and refreshing you, but you refresh me. And so we need each other. But he says, in part. Because that's the other side of the ditch is sometimes we just think we just need people, but no, really what satisfies is Jesus. Amen. Having a personal relationship with Jesus. And this is not your personal relationship with Jesus, hearing from me. It's great that you hear from me because uh, I'm awesome because I said God only brings awesome people here. So you're all awesome. But you know what? You need to hear directly from Jesus in your own personal time. That's where you open the Bible, invite the, put the chair up, invite the Holy Spirit to teach you. And you spend time, and God wants to talk to you. There's so many Christians that don't have their own relationship with the Lord. They live off TV dinners. What's that mean? They turn on Andrew on TV or Creflo or Joseph Prince, and that's all their relationship with God is hearing through other people. God wants to speak directly to you. You have your own hotline, direct 
connection to heaven as a child of God. And so, again, there's nothing that's really going to satisfy you without Jesus being the center of it. But again, we need each other. And there's so many Christians that are not around other Christians, and they wonder, what is wrong in my life? I don't really feel satisfied in my life. It's like I love the Lord, and I have a good job, and I have a nice house and stuff, but I'm just missing something in my life. It's called other Christians. It's having fellowship and doing life with other believers. That's why we have life groups. We're going to start life groups next week. It's so important to join a life group because, you know, you can just hear me and not get to say much, but I want you guys to get together in small groups to where you can share and talk and pray for one another, lay hands on each other, flow in the gifts of the Spirit, and that's what small groups are for. And so it's called enjoy your company. As a matter of fact, that's a term. It says they went to their own company. Whenever they were under pressure in trials or in tribulation or persecution it says and they went back to their own company tell someone you're you're my company you're my group we can let our hair down in the world we can't really let our hair down and be who we really are but we come to church and around other believers understand we let our hair down and just enjoy jesus and can dance and praise and and just really let loose and other people understand us to the world we're weird but it's a bunch of weird people understanding weird people hallelujah we're called the unique ones all right verse 25 you're a eunuch you're unique verse 25 but now i'm going to jerusalem to minister to the saints this is what paul has always wanted he wants to minister to the jews and so Paul has, is a call to the Gentiles, but wherever he goes, he's always trying to minister to the Jews. He goes to the synagogue first, then he'll go to the Gentiles. And so he comes to Jerusalem, and Paul's going to get out of the will of God. And so I'm not going to get much into this, because if I go any further, I'm going to lose a lot of you. And so, because you hold Paul as perfect. And so I love Paul. Paul, it, to me, is one of the foremost heroes of the faith. He is so far advanced, I believe, in his spiritual walk than where I'm at now. I wouldn't be able to see him. But when someone's in front of you, that means you can follow them. And when you follow someone, you're to learn from their good, but you can also learn from their mistakes. There is no perfect human being but Jesus. And so we're going to look in the Word of God. In the Word of God, I love the Word of God because the Word of God will, will, pulls no punches. They'll show good things, but then they'll show all the warts and all the mistakes and things like that. And most of the time, guys, when someone makes a mistake, you won't find a scripture saying, watch out, this person's about to blow it. <laughs> and you don't find most of the time when someone blows it on the backside, God get all over their case. There are times like a king will, will turn to the arm of the flesh and not trust God. He might send a prophet saying, this was a bad thing that you did. But most of the time when someone makes a mistake in scripture, you just have to look at it and say, that don't look right. It's not right. You just have to look at Abraham, give his wife away to save his own neck. That don't look right. It ain't. That's not good. He did it twice. But you find on the back side of it, you didn't see God pop all over him and said, Abraham, you shouldn't have done that. That was so wrong. Why did you do that? He didn't hop all over him. But wait a minute. Wait a minute before you think, well, that's, not the, that's the way it should happen. When you blow it, does God come and get all over your case when you blow it? Well, pastor, I feel so horrible when I blow it. But that's not God. That's your own heart condemning you. 
Jesus doesn't come down, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. How dare you do it? God doesn't do that. And he didn't do that in, most of the time in the Bible. And so we got to just look at, see what they do to learn from that. And we're going to look at where Paul blows it. He makes a major blunder. But we're going to see something when Paul misses it. There's two things why we have such difficulty seeing Paul when he misses it. It's first of all, he's Paul, the Apostle Paul. Two-thirds of the New Testament of the Word of God was written through him. So amazing of a man of God. But the main reason why we miss it when Paul makes a mistake is that he has, his flesh is religious flesh. See, we all have flesh. Your flesh didn't get saved. Tell someone your flesh never got saved. Your flesh never will get saved. And whatever version of flesh you had before you get saved, when you have a flesh flash, you know what a flesh flash is? A flesh fit? You get in the flesh, you'll, or you'll go back to the way your flesh was before you were saved, and it will manifest. Now, the problem is that Paul had religious flesh. He had USDA prime choice flesh. His flesh was beautiful. It was handsome. It was admirable. It was honorable. It was so holy looking. And everybody around, when he said, matter of fact, he said, you know what? Before I was saved, when I was Saul of Tarsus, according to the righteousness of the law, I was blameless. Not in God's eyes, but everyone around him looking at Paul said, you know what? This Paul, I can't find a thing wrong with this guy. This guy's awesome. So when Paul gets in the flesh, he gets religious and he gets noble. And it looks great. And you think, well, that's an example for every Christian holiday. But he misses it. And I, that's as far as I'm going to go right now because I've lost some of you already. Come back. Mabel, get your purse. We're out of here. What kind of church is this? Hold on, Mabel. Please hear everything out before you make a decision to walk out. So I'm just all I'm going to leave there. But the problem is, it's with us, most of us, we have heathen flesh, pagan flesh. What's that mean? That before we were saved, we got drunk, we got on drugs, we slept around. And so when we sin and get in the flesh, we get into sin. And it doesn't take much to say, that ain't God. <laughs> Blow up on somebody, get angry with them. And so, you know, that, that, that's not God. But when Paul got in the flesh, it looked nice. It looked noble, looked wonderful. <laughs> Blameless even. That's why it's so difficult. All right, hang on. Let's move on. Verse 26. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, in these two books, Paul is taking up an offering for the saints in Jerusalem, the poor saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul's going to raise money, and he brings up the offering in 1 Corinthians and says, hey, Let's raise some money for our brethren and so uh, start doing that. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is, is going to bring up that offering again and says, Hey, hey guys, those in Macedonia have given to this offering. Those in Philippi have given and given so much. Matter of fact, Philippi was such a giving church. The, book, the church of Philippi basically was his only ministry partner in his ministry that would continually give to his ministry. Everyone else. Now, Corinth was a carnal bunch. They flowed in the gifts of the Spirit, but they had a tight wallet. They never gave one red denarii to Paul. Paul never got one offering from those in Corinth, never gave a dime to Paul. 
but they were flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, but they were a carnal bunch. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and say, you know what? You're falling behind. And so you haven't given anything to this. And, I, and then he kind of puts a guilt trip on them. He says, you know what? These guys paid up. And when you show up, I hate for you to be ashamed. So you better start taking up offerings and get going on this thing because you don't want to be left with nothing and be seen as a cheapskate, right? And so, basically, and so he's really pushing for this offering because guess what? He's going to go with this offering to Jerusalem. It will be an occasion to go minister to the Jews. At one point he says, you know what? If I need to go with this offering and, and as, you know, if I need to go along with this offering, I'll go. There was not a doubt he would go to the, with this offering. There's no way Paul would not have gone to Jerusalem with this offering. And so Paul's going to go to Jerusalem because it was great passion for the Jews. And so let's keep reading here. Verse 27, And it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual, the Jewish, uh, if the Gentiles have been partakers of their, the Jews, spiritual things, their duty is to minister to them Jews in material things. And so again, the word of God came forth to the Jews first. The Messiah came to Jews first. And now the Gentiles are let in and the spiritual riches are now being shared with the Gentiles. And Paul says that if spiritual riches are being sown to you, it, you should be sowing natural riches back. And that's a principle for us today, guys. And I'm going to show you some verses in here. And so I'm going to share it because this is, I go line by line, verse by verse. And so we're going to talk about that you should share natural things with those that minister to you spiritually. I want to show you these are principles. Look in Galatians 6, look at verse 6. Galatians 6, 6 says, Let him who is taught in the word, raise your hand if you're being taught in the word, through, through your life and through on a regular basis you're listening to people teach you the word. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And I'm not saying this today for you to do anything good to me. I'm trying to bring this out because this is coming, this is the verse we're on. That, guys, you should be sowing naturally into those that are blessing you spiritually. That's a principle. And so let me see that also in 1 Corinthians, let you see that in 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as mere men, a mere man, or does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen that God's concerned about? So he brings out that those that work in the vineyard or works among the farm animals should receive of those. And so and then Paul brings out that you should not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. What is that talking about? It's talking about in the Old Testament, they had a big millstone tied to a pole. The oxen was tied to the pole, and that oxen would turn that big millstone and grind corn all day long. And he says, don't muzzle an ox that treads out the corn. Why? Because if you muzzle an ox, why would you muzzle the ox? So it wouldn't dip down and eat your proceeds. But a wise owner would leave the muzzle ox off that ox and let him eat from time to time because he kept his strength up. But if you muzzle the ox, that ox would get weaker and weaker and weaker and produce less and less and less. What's the spiritual teaching of this? Is don't, don't keep your preacher poor. All of a sudden you'll be getting uh, less and less word and all of a sudden you're getting a few corn stalks out and then after a while it's like, where did the pastor go? He went to get a job. 
Praise God. And so verse 10 says, or does he say it, or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, it is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. For we who have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing we reap your material things? So again, this is what God would have us do. Look at verse 28. Therefore, when we have performed this, this off, delivering this offering to Jerusalem, and have sealed to them this fruit. Say fruit. I thought it was just finances. When you give in faith and love, your natural finances become fruit that are bound to your account. They become spiritual fruit. And so again, here we have sealed them this fruit, and I shall go, away, I shall go by, uh, by way of you into Spain. Look at verse 29. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That means I'm not just going to preach to you, but the power of God's going to be there. The gifts of the Spirit's going to be there. Miracle signs and wonders is going to be there. And that's why we bring in, you know, we bring in the prophetic to come in. And I don't flow heavily in the prophetic. I do, I think, I, more prophetic teaching where I'm teaching Sometimes supernaturally it's coming out of me and I'm not playing on what I'm saying. And there's a flow there, but with the other gifts of the Spirit, I bring other people in like a Marcus Wick that can flow in that. And so we bring in a prophet to do that. And so, you know, some people are non-profit prophets, but I think Marcus is a, is a profitable prophet. Praise God. But it says, I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel, the good news. Look at verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Paul said, pray for me. Pray for me. Sometimes people get the idea that if you ask someone to pray for you, you're in doubt and unbelief. Well, then if that's the case, then Paul was in unbelief because he regularly asked people to pray for him. He says, here, I beg you, pray for me. I beg you, pray, brethren, pray for me. And so tell someone, if Paul needs prayer, you do. Now turn to someone else and say, you really need prayer. Paul says, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, you strive together in prayers for me. Paul wasn't so prideful to say, I don't need prayer. Paul says, I need you to pray. That's why church is so important. We can pray for one another. We're going to end the service in praying for one another. And so in the, in the ancient world, the shield Paul looked at was, was chained to a centurion on either arm in, in Rome, and he wrote the book of Ephesians in prison chained to soldiers he just looked over at their armor and started seeing spiritual lessons in their armor and he saw their shields sitting over there against the wall and it says you know it's like faith but you know with the roman shield it had two hooks on either side why do you think a roman shield had two hooks on either side because shield could hook to shield that could hook to shield and you were stronger together than by yourself that's what church is so important that you hook your faith to my faith and let's believe god together and so here it says, pray for me. Look at verse 31. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. There's two groups of people in this verse. Those are the saints and the unbelievers. Paul says that I be delivered from unbelievers, but I would be accepted by the saints. Well, first of all, Paul, I thought you were just going to deliver an offering and walk out the door and leave. 
No, he says, I want you to pray that I be delivered from unbelievers. Why? Because he's going to preach to them. Because he has such an overwhelming desire to reach the Jews, and he's an evangelist, and he's going to take the opportunity to preach. And we're going to see that he's going to not have that chance because he's going to be caught. And so look in verse 32. That I may come to you, those in Rome, with joy by the will of God. Say will of God. He's going to go to Rome, but it's not going to be God's perfect way. He was supposed to go to Rome, but he went to Jerusalem instead, and now he will go to Rome, but he's going to go on a slave ship. He's going to go in chains to Rome, and he's going to get to where he's supposed to be, but not quite how it should have happened. And I know I'm missing some of you guys, and you're like, boy, I just... But hold on, hold on, tell someone, hold on. Verse 33, now the God of peace be with you all, amen. We've seen in this chapter, he's called the God of comfort. He, saw, he says he's the God of hope. He's the God of all patience. And here he says the God of peace. So which one is he? He's anything you need. He's the God of it. If you need hope, he's the God of hope. If you need peace, he's the God of peace. If you need comfort, he's the God of all comfort. He is everything you need. And so now let's talk about Paul's trip to Jerusalem. And so let's see him go there. But before we go and follow Paul trudging the way to Jerusalem and the things we're going to see about Paul, I can't go there yet because you'll disconnect from me. I'm going to give you an example of a, new, of, a, of a Bible character where he blows it. And it doesn't say there's no verse saying he's about to blow it. And there's no verse on the other side said, you blowed it, now I'm going to judge you. You're just going to have to look at it and say, that ain't right. And I got to go here and, and then let you see that before we can even get to Paul. Let's look at Moses. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to suck the air right out of this room. <gasps> but I'll put it back. Moses set up the ten spies for their unbelief. Moses? Now the ten spies will be accountable for their unbelief. But Moses set them up for it. Pastor, prove it. Well, I'm glad you asked. All right, go to, go to Exodus chapter 3. We're at the burning bush. Exodus 3.8, this is God coming down, speaking to Moses, direct, directly to Moses. Exodus 3.8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land. Say good and large land. Good and large land. Say good and large land. Good and large land. One more time. Good what type of land was it? Good and large so a good land is a good land. All right. To a land flowing with milk and honey. Is that a rich land or a poor land? You sure? Okay. To the place of the ites. Let's move on. <laughs> Exodus 3.17. This is God. I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the ites. To a land flowing with milk and honey. Is that a rich land or a poor land? Rich, rich land. You are with me. Go to Exodus uh, 33 uh, verse 3. Were we in, what was the last one we did? Go to Exodus 13, 5. Exodus 13, 5. I, my, my person back there doing the scriptures is like, hold on. This is <laughs> Exodus 13, 5. 
And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the ites, which he swore to your father to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Is that a rich land or a poor land? Okay, you're with me. Exodus 33.3. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Is that a rich land or a poor land? You're with me. Go to Leviticus 20. Look at verse 24. That's a little harder. Leviticus. That comes right after Exodus. Your pages are stuck together. Leviticus 20, 24, but I have said to you, you shall inherit their land and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. Is that a rich land or a poor land? You're with me. Now let's get to where Moses gives instruction to the spies. Go to Numbers 13, look at verse 17. Numbers 13, look at verse 17. Then Moses sent them, the 12 spies, to spy out the land of Canaan. He said to them, go up this way into the south and go up into the mountains. And he's going to give instructions on what they are to look for. Okay, so verse 17, then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. Look at verse 18 and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, who cares? Oh, they're strong. It's going to take extra. Oh, they're weak. It's going to be an easy piece of cake. Who cares? Then he says, see if they're few or many. Who cares? The Lord doesn't deliver by a multitude. Well, they're just a few. You can just take it easy. No, there's a lot. You're going to have to, oh, we're really going to have to trust God. Go to verse 19. Moses says, go in and see what the land is like. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. What kind of land has he already told it is? A good and large land flowing with milk and honey. Go check it out and make sure what God said so. By his stripes you're healed, but check your body to make sure that's what's so. Go to that doctor and make sure you get a doctor's report to make sure that what God said so. Find out, look, check to see if, that, if, if indeed it's, it's good or, or bad land. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps, are they intense? Like they're camping out? Or are they in strongholds? <gasps> Who cares? Oh, they're just, they're intense. We'll take it. Oh, they're in strongholds. We're going to really have to trust God. Verse 20. Verse 20. Verse 20. See if the land is rich or poor. I just asked you over and over and over again. Is the land flowing with milk and honey rich or is it poor? And you said? Rich. Well, go find out if God's word is so or not. And see if there's any forest there because maybe he forgot we needed wood. Because there's there no forest, we may have to reconsider this. And after, after, you look at all of that be of good courage 
And they came back, and what did they say? Surely the land is a good land, and truly it flows with milk and honey. Duh! But the people are many, and they live in strongholds, and they're strong. And they look for everything Moses told them to look at and got into unbelief. Joshua comes in, takes two of them instead of 12, and says, he didn't say go look at anything. He said, just go find the path that we're supposed to go in, the route to go in. And that's all he asked them to do. And they went up and took the land. I had to go. Sorry, Moses. I had to go through this to even get to Paul because we see Paul's perfect. Let's go on a trip to Jerusalem. Let's trudge to Jerusalem with Paul. Let's go to Acts chapter... Before we get there, let's look at his calling. Acts 9.15. This is Paul's calling. Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles. Say Gentiles. Gentiles. Kings. These were Gentile kings. How do I know that? Because there was no kings... Since they got since the end of Malachi, there had been no king sitting on the throne of Israel or Judah, and so there was no king. These were Gentiles kings he was supposed to go to. And then lastly, the children of Israel. So I want you to go to the Gentiles first, and then I want you to go to the kings, and then if there's any Jews you pop into in between there, yeah, you can win them to the Lord too. But where did he always go first? Jews, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, and then got in trouble and then got, had to go talk to some kings and then the Gentiles. Look at Acts 22. Here he is going to Jerusalem. Acts twenty-two seventeen. This is after he wrote the book of Romans. He's on to Jerusalem. He said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. He's on to Jerusalem here. Acts 22, look at verse 17. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem... No, I'm, I'm sorry. Acts twenty two seventeen is his story about after he got saved. Right after he gets saved, he's in the temple and God gives him a vision in the temple. We're not in Jerusalem yet. Well, we are in Jerusalem, but not like you think. All right. Acts twenty two seventeen. This is right after he gets saved. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. I've entered that waiting for lunch sometimes. <laughs> like Peter. Verse 18, and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will receive your testimony concerning me. Oh, I'm sorry, clueless translation. They will not receive your testimony. Yeah, but I have an awesome testimony. Because Lord, they know that I've been in every synagogue imprisoning and beating them that believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing there consenting. What an awesome testimony that I got saved. Surely that will bless them. And God says, depart, get out of here. They're not going to receive your testimony. I will send you far away here to all the Jews. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll go far from here to the Gentiles. But he would immediately, every time he'd go somewhere, he'd go to the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. Now we're ready to go to Jerusalem with Paul. After the book, of, book of, wrote the book of Romans. Look at Acts 21, look at verse 3. 
Acts 21, look at verse 3. And when we had sighted Cyprus and we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria and landed at, landed at Tyre, for there was a ship to unload her cargo. And um, wait a minute, let me down here. There it is. And verse 4, in finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul, who are they? The disciples? They told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. Did you see this? They told Paul, by their own opinion. By their own emotion. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Does the Spirit and the Father have different wills? Does the Spirit and Jesus have different wills? Then if the Spirit said don't go, then what was the Father and Jesus saying? Don't go. Then why do we have a trouble with this and still say, no, he had, he had to be in right going to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's the Apostle Paul. He, could, he didn't make mistakes. And he's so noble. I want you to show how noble he is. Go down a few verses to verse 10. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded to him not to go up to Jerusalem. Well, Pastor, that just says that the prophet said that he would be bound. It didn't say he shouldn't go. But this comes on the heels of just hearing, By the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. And a prophet now comes saying, this is what's going to happen to you and you're going to get thrown to the Gentiles where you should have been to start with. It said, by, say, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. You know, Andrew talks about when someone tells him, he said, you know, God told me to come to Karis. And then 10 minutes, they share all of the reasons why they can't come to Karis. Yeah. And then they ask Andrew, well, what do you think about that? And he said, you lost me when God said... So with everyone's argument about how Paul was right going there, you, I, I got lost when the Bible says God said. Now if, now if Luke would have said this, don't go to Jerusalem and we're speaking by the Spirit. And he, and, and he, he says that's, that they, they said they were speaking by the Spirit. That would be a whole other thing. But no, Luke said... The disciples spoke by the Spirit, saying, don't go to Jerusalem. I'm still, some people have their, I just don't know. Well, when Paul got religious, he got noble. Look at verse uh, 12. Now when they heard these things, both we and those from this place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answered. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but to die at Jerusalem for Jesus. And you're, most people are like, go, go, Paul. 
Dude, that's what we're all supposed to do. Don't let them stop you, Paul. Woo! I'm on with you, Paul. Noble, but not in the will of God. If the devil can't oppose your strength, he'll get behind and push your strength. If he can't oppose your strength, he'll get behind you and push your strength out of the bounds where we've got to have it. Okay, let's trudge on with Paul further. Verse 16, Acts 21, 16. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasin of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we are to lodge. The Holy Spirit brings out specifically this man's name and that he was an early disciple. What's an early disciple mean? He was a Christian before Paul got saved. When he got saved, Paul was still Saul of Tarsus, where he was eating Christians for breakfast. And nothing would get hold of him except for a supernatural Appearance of Jesus knocking him off his high horse so hard, he hit the ground so hard, the S got knocked off and a P got put on. And he wouldn't listen to anybody. And, he, and this man named Manasin comes to him, and his name means remember. Paul knew Greek. He knows, hey, inter, hey uh, this man's name's Remember. And he was saved before you were. Paul, remember how you were before you were saved? You're about to go into the teeth of it right now. And now let's go to when he comes to Jerusalem. Acts 21, 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, this, we're going to go over a little bit, but, I, but it's well worth it. Plus you get a day off tomorrow. So <laughs> I'm not going to preach all night and all day. That's fine. Paul one time long preaching. Oh God, you're like, like Paul. He one time it went, and Paul went was long preaching up until midnight. And this guy fell asleep in the upper loft and fell out the window and died. And Paul had to actually go down, raise him from the dead. If you put him to sleep and kill him, you got to raise him from the dead. <laughs> you preach so long, you kill him, you're gonna have to raise him up. I trust none of you die because I haven't tried raising anybody from the dead yet. Acts 21, 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in to us to James and to the elders that were present. James, say James. James. Who's James? James was Jesus' half-brother. He grew up, Jesus grew up with James. James was, old, was the younger brother, half-brother of Jesus, but he grew up with this guy. James was the head pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And at the time, James is legalistic and religious. Well, he wrote the book of James. Well, that's later. Do you know that the only person that really understood the new covenant at this time was Paul? called the Pauline Revelation. Who, who's the only one that understood at the very beginning the Pauline Revelation? 
James, at this point, is still legalistic, and he's a strong character. He's stronger than a half an acre of garlic. Matter of fact, Peter was scared of him. Peter was in Antioch earlier. He was in a, city, a Gentile church, and Peter went up there just to check it out. He gets up there to this Gentile church, and he loves praising worship. It's so free. You know, he's really in praise and worship, and, and he loves lunchtime. <laughs> loves lunch. Loves the breakfast, has the eggs and the bacon. Mmm, bacon. He's having ham sandwiches for lunch. He's having pork chops for dinner. He's enjoying himself, and one day he looks out the window, and he sees a couple of people coming from James. Oh! He runs to the bathroom and starts spraying his breath to get the pork off. <laughs> And separates from the Jews. That, and Paul rebukes him for his hypocrisy of going back into the law and legalism. But now Paul's turn to get in front of James and let's see how it happens. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and the elders in verse 19. When he agreed to them, he told them in detail all the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. God is blessing those Gentiles. And they said to him, you see, brother, you can almost hear it, the religious, okay, brother, that's good. You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. And they are zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. What customs? Keeping the law. Verse 22. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, and they will hear that you've come. Therefore do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a Jewish vow, Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so they may have shaved their heads. What, is, what expenses is that? To pay for their animal sacrifices. Which, all, which represents Jesus. Every sacrifice of the Old Testament represented Jesus. He said, pay their expenses so they may shave their heads and that all may know that these things which you have been informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself walk orderly and you keep the law. And at this, and at this time, it would, Paul should have said, we have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. That you, we may be married to another, to him who has raised Jesus from the raised God from the dead, or raised Jesus from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. That's Romans seven. He said, "Brother, you don't understand." He should have preached out of the book of Romans. He had written Galatians before Romans. He should have said, "James, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage." I say, if you've been become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You've been estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. He doesn't say that. Look on here. It says, take, with, take them, be purified with them, pray, pay their expenses so they may shave their heads, and that all may know that those things which, uh, which they're informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself walk orderly and you keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided, that's Acts 15 at the church council, 
But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that and gave them four laws instead of 613. What was he saying here? That we know the Gentiles, God's merciful, winks at them. They don't have much knowledge. They don't have to keep all the law. We'll give them four. But not that doesn't apply to us Jews. We still got to keep it. And we know you do, Paul. What if someone walked up to you with your understanding right now and said, you know what? Hey, I, I know that the general people out there that don't know like me, much as me and you, that we teach them that they shouldn't keep the law. Jesus is enough. But really, we're, we're more advanced. And the more knowledge, the more responsibility we have. And so to really please God, we need, I know you keep the law and I know I keep. So we're supposed to keep the law. What would you say to that person that would say that to you? No. no. We're under grace. Paul says, okay. Okay. Then Paul took them in the next day. Having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering, animal sacrifice, should have been made for each one of them. They were minutes away from having an animal sacrifice that represented Jesus. You say, how in the world could Paul do that? He wrote the book of Romans. Do you know it's possible to write an awesome book full of revelation and not live up to that revelation? You can write a wonderful book full of revelation and then not live up to it right after you wrote it. And how do we miss it? Because it looks so noble. Paul. And I had to go here before I could ever go to Romans 9 because you would all walk out the door if I went to Romans 9. Go to Romans 9. We'll end this. Romans 9, look at verse 1. Paul in Romans 9.1 says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is this is the God honest truth. God knows, I'm being as honest as I can here. I'm just going to open my heart. I'm going to tell you and God knows this is what's really in my heart. What was in Paul's heart? Verse 2, that I have great sorrow in content, say continual, <laughs> continual grief in my heart over the Jews. Guys, there may be times where a prayer burden may come on you and you pray and it'll lift off you, but it's not God's will that you live under continual grief. That's a false burden that he never called you to carry. He never called Paul to bear the burden of the Jews. He said, go to the Gentiles and trust me with the Jews. Well, if I don't reach the Jews, who will? Peter, the ignorant fisherman, he's called to the Jews and other people were called to the Jews. You called to the Gentiles. My goal is for you to get the Gentiles saved and get them so blessed that the Jews get jealous of them. No, I got to go. I got to go to these Jews. Verse 3, for I wish that I myself were accursed, cut off, that curse means cut off, that I could wish that I would be cut off from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. What is he saying? I wish I could go, I wish that I could trade in my relationship with Jesus so other people could have a relationship with Jesus. 
that I wish I could go to hell so other people could go to heaven. And you say, oh, how precious. How noble. That, that's the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus was willing to be cut off from the Father. That we, so what, that's a beautiful thing. Not the same at all. Totally different. Why? Number one, the Father asked Jesus to do it. It was God's will that he be cut off for you. How do I know that? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but God never asked that from Paul. You know one thing about religious flesh? Religious flesh always likes to sacrifice and offer to God, but God didn't ask for it. Cain, Abel brought the first of the flock and the fat thereof and the blood, blood sacrifice, and Abel offered by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So Abel must have heard that was what God asked for, so he did it by faith. So he, he brought that animal sacrifice by the will of God. Cain said, I got a better idea. I got something better. I'll toil and sweat and work hard, and I got these beautiful vegetables. This zucchini, I can barely carry it. <laughs> and I have all that. And so I'm going to give to God a salad. <laughs> this gorgeous salad to the Lord but he didn't ask for it and what's the second difference between Jesus and Paul Jesus knew that he would be restored to the father in three days Paul said basically I'm willing to go to hell forever what was he saying I'm willing to forsake my personal relationship with Jesus for the Jews and anything you put before your personal relationship with Jesus is an idol. Why did I go, I don't enjoy doing Why did I bring this out? Because there's a valuable lesson we have to learn from Paul here. Is that you can get into a burden and make it into God. It's not from God. Let me tell you, the closest to a true leading of the Lord you can get, strong emotional attachment. You get attached emotionally, especially to other people. You can take, it's easy to take that in. That's from God. You have a young lady. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done, but it's so important we go here. You have a young lady who is dating an unbeliever, missionary dating. If anybody can reach that hunk, I can. <laughs> and they get emotionally connected, they get physical, get romantic, they get sexual before marriage, and their hearts tie together, and all of a sudden, I know God wants me to marry that guy. Well, how, how, how can you divide between a spiritual leading and an, a soulish emotional leading? The word, the word, the word. It divides. What would she need to do? Go to the, what does the word say? Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. There's no closer yoke than marriage. She would easily know that's not a spiritual leading, that's an emotional leading. 
call, got a burden for the Jews, and God never gave it to him. He started thinking about it and dwelling on it and dwelling on it and became a stronger and stronger and all-encompassing burden. Can we do that today? Do you have a burden in your life today called worry? What about my grandkids? What about my children? What about my parents? If I follow God's will, what's going to happen to them? Do you have a burden of failure from your past? Because Paul would have to get past this failure in Philippians later. He'll say, one thing that I do, I forget my mistakes. I forget the good thing. I forget what's behind. I press on. There's burdens of guilt and shame and regret, and you've never been called to bear it. And today's the day to take it off. Take off that burden. If you're in continual grief, that's not God. That's not a burden. Give it on Jesus. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Morning. morning. Yesterday, I was home. My wife, she went back to do 30 or 40 years. And I was just listening to some of the service, some of the teachings. And the enemy just, you know, remind me in first and second years, very dis... Um, I was going through some stuff. I was this, this, um, distracted. And so then he started beat me up. Oh, distracted in school. And, and then I took, then I, he started reminding me of me taking an early retirement from Delta Airlines to come to Bible school. And it, and it just started to beat me up. And I'm just like, no. And I just, my wife's here, baby. You could always listen to my te- teaching, these teachings when I bring them home. And it just, it just blessed me. Some of you may be going through some stuff. The enemy may be throw, lying, like the songs is lying to you, your past mistake. And you feel guilty or shame. But I just want you to come up and just be prayed for today. Come up, as Pastor Rick mentioned. And God gave me a scripture to, to, read, to read to you. And it's in Philippians 3.13. It's a brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehend but one thing that's one thing the enemy messed up the enemy is just pointed finger to you it's like those code those cameras in the way back you take them and get a negative the enemy got that negative and just like dangling at you so i just want you to come up for prayer today i do not forget those things which are behind it's behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead and you cannot go forward in life walking backward amen there is freedom you know just like rick was teaching and talking about paul and his version of the flesh flesh was religion and it was legalism and it was let me perform for you god let me get back into position and let religion move me but god wants us to be free so that we can choose him freely he doesn't want puppets he doesn't want us to operate and figure out what do you want, God? I'm going to be just that. I'm going to give my whole life to just run and be that. I'm going to find every law, every rule. I'm going to keep it for you. No, he, I, again, I just saw, just like his hand was like a shear that just went over all of us and severed that. He doesn't want puppets. He wants yielded hearts that out of your own free will, out of our own free will, we say yes. So if that's in your heart this morning, just say, yes, Jesus. Out of my own free will, I give you my heart.